Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to take an assessment together. We're continuing our series entitled Resilient. Uh, where we're, we're taking two weeks for each of the six pillars. And at the beginning of the first uh, of two weeks on a pillar, we take an assessment together. So if this is your first time with us, we've been doing this for the last month and a half. If you want to take the other assessments in the previous areas of your life that we've covered, you can get online. Uh, but we start off with an assessment. And here's why. There, there are two big reasons. First, Scripture says, know the condition of your flock. And so we, we want to know where we're at. If there's one thing we learned during COVID, it's that we didn't quite know where everybody was. And we really want to take a big step in the area of discipleship in this next season as a church. And you can't do that if you don't know where everybody is. And so we're going to start taking more assessments. I love to know where I'm at. I don't like to lie to myself. That, that's how I get taken out. I like to know right where I'm at. And assessments are one of the best ways it's like standing in front of a mirror. It just tells me where I'm at. So we're going to take this assessment on one particular area. I'll tell you which area some of you are possibly going to want to get up and walk out on this part. For the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about your money. Your money. And I could feel it Thursday night, tangibly. I could feel it. People are like, I don't like to talk about my money. I don't like you talking about my money. And I especially don't like God talking about my money. But that's what we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about. But before we jump into it, let's uh, do this assessment together. So if you got one of these coming in, you can do the uh, paper version of this. Or you can just take your phone if you want to do it online. Take a picture of the QR code on the screen or on the page. I would rather you do it online. That's better for us because we can compile the data and it, it very much helps us. So if you love to do it on paper, that's fine. If you wouldn't mind putting it on the, the offering box uh, at both campuses after the service is over, that would really help us uh, to get a, a more accurate read on where we are as a church, okay? All right, let's go through these. It doesn't take very long at all. Number one, I seldom experience financial stress. So just fill in the circle there, never true. Rarely true, infrequently true, sometimes true, usually true, always true. Number two, I have clear written financial goals. Do I just think about them, talk about them, or are they written to help hold me accountable? Number three, I tied 10% of my income to the local church. Everybody's favorite topic to talk about in church. Now remember, don't lie to yourself. Go with the first answer. Don't try and talk yourself into a better answer. Let's just be honest. Number four, I can enjoy life because of the way I'm managing my money. Number five, I could handle a major unexpected expense like 10% inflation. I know inflation isn't a real thing, but diesel is $4. Why did I have to buy a diesel truck right before all this went down? You know what I'm saying? Number six, I have a good system for tracking my spending. A lot of great apps out there. Maybe 
your old school uh, spreadsheet like we are. I have a good system for tracking my spending. Number seven, have at least three months expenses set aside in a readily accessible account. My daughter's in college now and she, she said, Daddy, is it true that, you're supposed to, that, that the, the boy is supposed to spend two months salary on an engagement ring? And I said, well, that's what a lot of people say. She said, well, what do you think? I said, I think your fiance should buy a cubic zirconia. <laughs> she didn't like that. Number eight, my personal business life is highly organized. Insurance, estate plan, investment portfolio, expense sheets, I'm highly organized with all of my financial, uh, the financial details of my life. Number nine, I'm on pace to leave an inheritance to my grandchildren. And number 10, I give to the Lord over and above the tithe. Now, if you would, just go through and tabulate. You can see the point value for each of the columns. Go ahead, add all those up, and in the box, put your score. And remember, if you did this on paper, just put it in the offering box afterwards. Take a picture with your phone so you can remember where you're at. Uh, and then for those of you online, we'll have record of it, all right? While you're finishing up, kind of tabulating your score, make sure I say, hey, Tempe, hope you're all doing wonderfully well this morning. I also want to show you, we don't really do this a lot, but I want to show you something that you're doing today here at the Scottsdale campus. We have a ministry here called Embrace Grace that uh, walks alongside unbelievably courageous young women who have gotten pregnant and it wasn't planned. And there are choices that they've got to navigate and it's oftentimes really difficult to navigate those waters. And so as a church, we come alongside We've got a basically two-month weekly class process. And then at the end, we throw a baby shower and you buy all of their stuff. It's one of the most amazing things we do. I actually am going to pop out so I can see this picture. I want you to see, check this out. Uh, just, just look at that. Your baby shower didn't look that awesome. I mean, look, you bought all of those gifts. And some incredible people wrapped them this weekend. And these three women, they come in today. They're, we call them blooms. They're coming in. Uh, they'll have a hairstylist do their hair and makeup. We treat them like princesses. And then we throw a party and they can invite anybody they want to. And they open up all their gifts. And it's one of my favorite things we do here. So I just want to say, because I probably don't say this enough. I think you're some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life. That, that we announce things. And we say, you can go on Amazon and buy this stuff. And you get on and literally, we, we have to put stuff, new stuff up after every service because every, everybody buys everything. We say, we need one stroller. People buy three. I mean, it's just amazing. So I, be praying today. It's just such an incredible time. But I wanted to commend you uh, because you do such a wonderful job in the area of generosity. All right. So since we're kicking off this message week one, just like I did with the body, if you weren't here uh, for the last two weeks, Brad did an incredible job talking about the theology of work. And then before that, I did the theology of the body and how to care for the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you weren't here for that, uh, you should go back and listen to it. And then Isaac did the spiritual pillar. 
title of this week's message is The Theology of Money. And I know some of us, and I'm sure in every service, there's going to be somebody who's here for the first time who maybe comes in a little skeptical of church and they're making a joke on the way to church going, every time I go to church and and I don't go that much, they always talk about money. Isn't it funny that's what we're talking about today? And here's what I would say. Please don't make a judgment on that. In the same way, if I met you, I'm not going to judge you by the first word that comes out of your mouth. I I just simply ask you, as you can see, we don't pass the plate here. We don't even tell you how to give. I don't know if you noticed that. We don't even tell you how to give. That's on purpose because that's between you and the Lord, not between you and me. And it's a part of our worship. So please don't make a judgment because we're talking about money. And let me also say, Jesus taught around 40 parables. And did you know that 11 of them were about money. Jesus talked more about money than he did faith and prayer combined. You know what that means? As a senior pastor, I don't talk about money enough. So if you're mad at me because I'm talking about your money, take it up with Jesus. I think there's a really good reason why Jesus spent more than a quarter of his time in the parables talking about money. I'll show it to you. Matthew chapter six, let's read it together. Verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Preston, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. In my opinion, money is the dominant global religion practiced today. It's the number one thing worshiped on the earth today. And this is why Jesus talked so much about money, in my opinion. Because it creates a competition, money does. He went so far as to say, Preston, if you love money, you can't love God. So before you go too far down that road, let me, let me just get to point number one so that we're all on the same page. Money is not a bad thing. Money is not a bad thing. Think about it. Uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, we, many of us know this story. Solomon makes the sacrifices when he becomes king, and God says, what is it you want? Ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you. Solomon says, I want wisdom and knowledge because of people like yours deserve to be led by someone possessing wisdom and understanding. And I want you to see God's response to Solomon when he asked, not for money, but he asked for wisdom and understanding. Second Chronicles 1 verse 12, God says, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth. Really important words. The God of the universe said, I will give you wealth. Riches, in other words, a ton of resource and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. Now, please hear my heart before you start to to crucify me as someone who's prosperity gospel. Okay, here's what I would say. I'm just scriptural as it relates to finances. You're not going to see me pull the, the heavenly slot machine arm and go money cometh. Okay. But I'm also not going to back down from what scripture teaches about money. And here's what I would say. One of the reasons we know money is not inherently bad 
is because if money were inherently bad, God wouldn't give it. If it, in its own merit, were inherently bad, God would not give it. God said, I'm going to give you wealth and riches to Solomon. Not only that, Scripture tells us God goes even further. He doesn't just give us wealth. He also gives us the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, right after he's talking about the manna, the manna was to prove a point of provision. He said, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. God gives us the power to create wealth. Money isn't inherently bad. Having said that, it can become bad. Where is the line where money goes from being a good thing to being a bad thing? Here's where I I believe the line is. Money becomes bad when I value it more than I value God. That's the line. When I put more value on money than God. Well, Preston, what does that look like? Well, I'll give you an example. A hypothetical example. Say, in a worldwide pandemic, you were experiencing some stress. And the way that you consistently alleviated that stress was buying things. A lot of things. Here's what I would say. If I look to something to alleviate my difficulty, my struggle, my stress, more than I look to God as my protector and provider, I value it more than I value God. There's a word for that in the Bible, idolatry. Idolatry begins in the heart when gratitude to the giver is replaced by greediness for the gifts. Here's here's kind of the, the flow of idolatry as it relates to money. You get a little prosperity, and if you become convinced that you're the reason you have what you have financially, that leads to ingratitude, not being grateful. Think about it. I'll kind of illustrate it. When we go out for a family dinner and we go to a nice restaurant, uh, I'm typically the one who pays. Uh, so far, I've never had one of my kids at a nice restaurant uh, pull out a card and say, Daddy, I got this. I long for that day, but we're not there yet. But, but here's what happens. I pay for it, not once. I've been a parent for almost 19 years now. Not once have I or Holly ever paid for a meal, and at the end of the meal have I said to myself, thank you, self. That was a wonderful meal. Thanks, Press. I I don't thank myself for doing something. Neither do you. That's what ingratitude looks like with God. We don't say thank you to him. Here's why. Because we think it's an us thing. And we never thank ourselves for what we do. And if we stay too long in ingratitude, it leads to idolatry. What What does idolatry look like as it relates to finances? The constant insatiable desire for more of it. Because we're not grateful for all of it, that creates an appetite for more of it, which can and often does lead to worshiping it. Now, the Bible doesn't say money is bad, but it does say the love of money is bad. Let me show it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. This, I believe, is one of the scariest money passages in the Bible. 
But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Pretty sure nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I feel like doing today? Plunging myself into ruin and destruction. Yet scripture tells us there's a way that that happens. Falling in love with money. For the love of money, Preston, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let me give you my paraphrase of this passage. Discontentment and ingratitude are the proteins which grow many of the muscles of the flesh. When I need more and more, we're going to talk about that next week. When it's never enough and when I'm not grateful for all that God has given me. Those two things right there are like proteins which build up many, many, many of the muscles of my flesh. That brings us to point number two. Money is an emotional thing. If we're going to understand the role money plays in our lives, we first have to understand it's not inherently bad, but it can become bad if we fall in love with it. But second, we have to understand money is an emotional thing. Look back in Matthew 6, verse 21. Jesus says, and I think this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, many of us quote that verse. Wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be. That's not how it works. Think about it with my kids. I love all of you. Love you. Grateful that you're here. But I love my kids more than you. And it's not because they're inherently better than you or more lovable than you. There's a very simple explanation. It's because they've cost me far more than you. When I look at my children, there are days where I see a little bit of me. Some days. But every day, I see a bunch of dollar signs. I got one in college. I got another one coming for Christmas. They all want tennis shoes that cost like $9 billion, it feels like. And they grow out of them. The boys grow out of them in like nine minutes. I just see dollar signs when I look at my kids. It's part of the reason I love them. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Statistics say that less than one quarter of consistent church goers tithe. So less than 25% of people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ tithe. I wonder if one of the reasons that we see so many people chunking the deuces on the church today isn't a church problem. Now I get, we, we all, with it, as the church, we need to do better. I don't ever want to feel like we've arrived. I want to keep getting better. But I'm going to be honest and say, I don't know that we're always the problem. Sometimes we are. I think it, sometimes it might just be an issue of, if somebody's treasure isn't there, I never expect their heart to be here. So of course, I mean, I mean think about if we looked at the church, the, uh, at marriage the same way we do the church. Now I get there's church shopping and then there's church hopping. Church shopping is we got to find the place the Lord tells us to be. But I'd also like to say, once you hear the Lord on where you're to attend church, I typically don't believe within four to six or eight months, he changes his mind and say, you know what? I got it wrong. You need to go somewhere else. And yet many do that. 
I, I wonder if it's not a church issue, but it's more a treasure issue. Jesus said, wherever my treasure is, there my heart will also be. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Money is an emotional thing. The two biggest ways we know whether or not we love money are how we hold on to it and how we let go of it. One of the ways you know money is an emotional thing is by how you handle holding on to it and letting go of it. I remember the first time uh, back in the day at Gateway uh, 20 years ago, we had the first miracle offering and we were giving towards the first piece of property. And Holly and I were newly married and I was part-time at Gateway and Pastor Robert shared with the church, we're gonna have a miracle offering and, and I felt led by the Lord to go to Holly uh, a couple months into marriage and, and saying to her, I feel like we're supposed to pray separately about the number and then come together and, and come into agreement on what we're to give to the Lord. Now you gotta know a little bit of the backstory. When we got married, she felt like I was like the Mother Teresa of hearing God's voice, okay? So she would always be like, when we were dating, hey, you just tell me and, and I'm with you. You know, it was kind of like the Israelites and Moses. I'm like, listen, I'm not Moses. I, I want you to hear the Lord too. So this first miracle offering was one of the biggest turning points in our marriage. So we took two weeks and we prayed about it. And we came back together, I'll never forget, we were sitting in the car outside of a restaurant about to have dinner with Pastor Robert and Debbie. And I said, well, do you feel like you got a number? She said, yeah. She said, but it's crazy. And I started laughing. She said, did you get a number? I said, well, I got three. She said, I said, well, what's your number? And she gave it. And I started crying. And I took out a piece of paper and I had written three numbers down that added up to the same number that she got from the Lord. And I, I don't say that, please hear my heart, I have nothing to gain by telling you anything and I'm not gonna tell you the exact number, but it, just so you can understand the context, it represented my annual salary at the time. And we were, we were in even more debt from college than I made in a year. And so it was a huge step for us. And when I told her the three numbers, we started weeping in the car. I mean, it was a holy moment, like tears of joy. We were just sobbing. We, we were celebrating with God. And then a couple days went by and it was time to have the miracle offering. <laughs> and I'll never forget at the front of the stage, they had uh, these big water pots, okay, that were like this tall. And uh, people, we, we came to the front and we noticed, I mean, I was like, 21 at the time, 22. So I'm watching what everybody's doing because I've never done this before. And I notice people are praying over their offering and then giving it, which I got really excited about because I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to pray for a really long time. Maybe the Lord will change his mind. <laughs> so I mean, I literally, we go up to pray and I'm holding it out over this water pot in my heart. I wasn't saying it out loud, but I was like, Lord, let this be one of those walk on water moments where I drop the check and there's like an invisible force field over the top and it just hovers there and you say, this was just a test, Preston, pick it back up. <laughs> so I'm praying this really long prayer and we are sobbing, but not for the same reason we were sobbing a couple days before. 
You know what I'm saying? Why? Because money is an emotional thing. It's emotional. We were scared to death. I mean, I'm about to give my salary. I, I, we didn't even know what we were doing. It was crazy, but we knew God was leading. But we were weeping. I'm sure people like Pastor Robert were looking at us going, what is going on? Like something is wrong with these people. And I, I, I yes, yeah, something was wrong with me. But it was a beautiful moment. But I learned something that day. Money really is an emotional thing. Well, fast forward when we started this church. Holly and I... I had dreamt for years about giving an extravagant offering when we planted the church here. And so we gave all of our retirement when we came in. And, and it doesn't matter. You don't need to get up, caught up in anything. But I, I just want to help you understand how God can change your heart as it relates to money as the years of faithful tithing and giving go by. It, it was many times over what we gave that, time, that first miracle offering. And when we did it, it was like, another Tuesday. There was no emotion. There was no second guessing. And here's what I learned. Money becomes less emotional when you don't hold on to it. I was gripping it like white fingers that first time. But the time when we sowed here in the beginning, we had been so excited to do it. It wasn't even about the number. It was about the chance that we got to do it. And money was far less emotional. That brings us to point number three. And some of you might not like this one. Your money is not yours. The biggest way money becomes less emotional is when you get a revelation that your money, my money, doesn't belong to me. Let me personalize it so you don't think I'm just talking at you. My money is not my money. It's only mine in that it's been given to me by God and entrusted to me to steward on his behalf. But it's really not mine. Uh, just to insert a little humor because some of you are probably mad at me right now. If you've ever heard of Shaquille O'Neal, uh, basketball player, very famous, Hall of Famer, uh, very entrepreneurial, has made a ton of money in his career. And he was telling his children one day, they, they were like, they were sitting around at the dinner table and they were going, we are loaded. We are so rich. And Shaq just deadpan. He goes, we're not rich. I'm rich. <laughs> I think that's kind of how God looks at me and, and money. He's like, if, on those days, man, we're loaded. And the Lord goes, you're not loaded. I'm loaded. Your streets aren't paved with gold. Mine are. It's not mine, it's his. And this is one of the ways we break a stronghold financially in our lives when we understand that everything we have is his. Martin Luther once said, there are three necessary conversions in the Christian life. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. Well, what's the conversion of the purse? It's the, the transition from believing and thinking, my money is mine, Transitioning to, it all belongs to him, to God. Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Question. If the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, is my money in the earth? 
is yours? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything I have belongs to him and anything I have comes from him. Now, I know it's easy for some of us to look in this direction and go, well, that's easy for you to say because you're a pastor and you have no livelihood if if there's no money in the church. I, I love it when people talk that way. Remember, my giving isn't between me and this church. It's between me and the Lord. Now, yes, as a senior pastor, if I'm not leading by example, the elders will bus check me faster than anybody. But I I just want to remind you, when we get to a place where it all belongs to God, there really aren't too many wrestling matches over dollars and cents. Why? Because I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to steward what he's given me. Psalm 50 verse 10, for all the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills, God says. I know we read over a verse like this and we think it's no big deal. But let me just say, especially because I know in Tempe, I know here that some of us during this worldwide pandemic have gone through and are going through some difficult financial times. This is a very encouraging verse in difficult financial times. This was an agricultural society. And so the way people had wealth in this day and time were their farm animals and what they could grow. Here's what God is saying in Psalm 50 verse 10, that he is greater than any business, any government, or any bad economy. You might be experiencing a little bit of difficulty on your hill financially. I have good news. God looks in your direction and says, hey, relax. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I can send ravens to bring provision. I can cause the quail to fly three feet above the ground when you're starving. And you can scoop up enough food for the day for you and your family. He is the provider But here's one of the things I've learned over the years. When I think money is mine, it affects his provision in my life. Now, if you think that God is just possessive, because I'm saying scripture says that everything belongs to God. If if you think he's just someone who comes to you and says, your money is mine, give it to me, it's mine. All your stuff, it's mine, okay? That's not his heart. I want to help you understand. When you understand that everything you have is God's and you steward to the best of your ability, there are moments in life where God says things like this. I'll use me as an example. A couple weeks ago, uh, I had just a sweet moment with the Lord. And it had been a long run uh, for, for some time, and I was pretty tired. And I, f- I felt just one day in my time with him. He said, I want, I want to do something. I said, huh? He said, is everything in your hands, does it belong to me? I said, yes. He said, okay, I want to do something with my money. I said, okay, you haven't talked like this in a little while. What do you want to do? Well, I'll try and keep it short, but 
a new pair of Air Jordan 5s had come out. And stick with me, because I know some of you are, are immediately going to go preachers and sneakers on me in your mind. And I'm about to make you feel bad for thinking that thought. When I was uh, in junior high, Jordans had just kind of come out and they were a really big thing. And somebody bought me my first pair of expensive tennis shoes. They were the Air Jordan 5s. Now, this might not seem like a big deal to you, but to me, for whatever reason it was, that little boy thought those shoes were the most valuable thing he had ever seen on the earth. And I remember one night lying in bed and I had the shoes on my nightstand next to my head. And I looked over at them and I, I remember saying to the Lord, out of all the boys in the world, I can't believe I get to own these. I can't believe this. And for whatever reason, it was just very special to me. I'm 43 now, so 30 years have passed. And I felt the Lord say, I'm gonna do something with my money. I wanna buy the little boy something. I said, really, what? I wanna buy him a pair of Air Jordan 5s. They just released, these are them. This might mean absolutely nothing to you, and that's okay. But these shoes for the rest of my life will serve as a very, very small but special reminder to me that God doesn't just provide. I, I, it's not like I was coveting these shoes. But when your daddy says, I want to do a little something for the little boy or the little girl, and we're going to talk about this during the emotional pillar, because you hear me talk like this. One of the things I've learned as a senior pastor, every 65-year-old is just a five-year-old on the inside. And when your daddy, your provider, says to you, I want to buy the little boy a pair of shoes. Now here's what happened. I got them, I put them on, and I looked down, and it had been 30 years since I had stood over a pair of shoes and seen this visual. I lost it. In my hotel room in Dallas, I cried like a baby. It's one thing if in pride I look and I say, look what I can buy myself. The fun of that is fleeting. But when your daddy says, son, I'm so proud of you and your stewardship. Let's do a little something fun with my money. Let's woo the little boy's heart. Let's get him a pair of tennis shoes. Some of the ladies are like, I feel God wooing me to go to Fashion Square Mall later today. <laughs> Be careful how far you take that. But you get the point. God is not possessive. He's not possessive. He's a provider and he's a father and he loves to give gifts to his children. But when I think everything I have is mine and because of me, I am shutting off my ability to receive gifts given by him to me. That brings us to point number four and we'll be done. Money stewarded well brings blessings in return. Money stewarded well brings blessings in return. Now, I know for some this might sound like the prosperity gospel. It's not. God is a divine steward. He's perfect in stewardship. We see it multiple times in scripture. The parable of the talents. We learn 
that to those who are diligent and good stewards, God gives more. To those who are not diligent and good stewards, he takes away more and gives to those who steward better. Let me kind of give you a definition of bad stewardship so that you can understand good stewardship. Here's my definition of bad stewardship. Bad stewardship is spending an excess of God's money on things he doesn't ask for or approve of. Now, do I, uh, when I'm having lunch and I'm trying to decide where I go, do I have a moment of prayer and go to the Lord and say, should I go to Chick-fil-A today and have grilled chicken nuggets and fruit? Or should I just eat a bag of nuts, Jesus? I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we should go that far. I believe there are boundaries that God sets financially and when we live within them, we, we, we don't really hear that much from God about our money. It isn't until we cross over one of the extremes of the boundary that God begins to speak in. I believe he sets the boundaries in our hearts and by his Holy Spirit, he helps us understand when we cross those boundaries. So when I move in excess of something, of his line, he speaks into it. I feel conviction. I don't know about you, but I know I've crossed the line. On the other side, if I go too long and I do, don't do something special for one of my kids or maybe I, I'm not stewarding myself well and I'm hoarding money out of fear, I also feel conviction. You see what I'm saying? It's not just when we overspend that God steps in. It's when we underspend. Stewardship is about spending money God's way on the things he asks for and approves of. That therefore means that bad stewardship is spending an excess on things God didn't ask for or approve of. Let me show you, money stewarded well brings blessings with one passage. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then. Then. This is a scriptural promise. This then indicates an absolutely guaranteed response. Then. Then, and watch what God will do when we honor the Lord with our wealth. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Again, before we go too far down the prosperity gospel road, let me, let me just give you a one-liner to keep us balanced. The goal of godly financial stewardship is not to receive more, but to be trusted more. And let me show it to you. The best Return on investment for good financial stewardship is not more money. And I'll show it to you. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. I'll personalize it for me. Preston, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Question. What's the currency of earth? Money, right? World runs on money. What's the currency of heaven? Souls. Souls. One of the reasons I'm such a stickler about stewarding the Lord's money at this church isn't so that we will have more of it in case things go sideways. It also isn't so that we can continue to keep saving more and more for a property, piece of property, 
I don't know if you know this, but one day we're going to need to go from renters to owners. As a good steward, I believe there's a threshold. We can't keep renting and paying for someone else's asset. But when you're younger and don't have as much strength financially, it's what you do. But we don't steward just so we can keep saving more money. The verse I just read you is the reason we steward the way that we do. Because one day years ago, I learned that when you steward worldly resources well, that one of God's favorite responses is to entrust to you souls, an anointing to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God would use you to expand the boundaries of his kingdom. I'm not opposed to money, but I'm far more pro-soul than I am pro-sense. I want us to be some of the best stewards on this planet. I want our church to be known as one of the best stewards in the body of Christ. I don't want to be known for just how we save money. I want to be known for how we spend it. But more than any of that, I want to be known for souls. And scripture says a part of receiving that anointing is stewarding financial resources. How many of us want to see hell plundered and heaven populated? Okay, well, did you know? Money plays a role. How we steward the money God has entrusted to us on a daily basis plays a role in the anointing God gives us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand? And before I have you bow your heads, I just want to tell you something fun we're going to do next week. I'm going to give you a week heads up. We're going to give an offering to the Lord next week. It's the last point of next week's message. And, and can, I, can I just give you a sweet little gift? When the pastor says something about taking up an offering, I personally believe that for many, it's, it's an opportunity to grow in maturity. And here's what I mean. It'd be very easy to say, oh, gee, look at the time. We're going to be out of town next weekend. Got to miss that. We're not raising money for anything specific. We're not. I don't even know if I should say this. The two of the elders are in this room. They, they can correct me afterwards. We're not raising money out of need. The average church has about two months in, in expenses saved up. By God's grace and the way we've attempted to steward, we have two years of expenses saved up. A part of that is we're preparing for the future. But a big part of that is stewardship. So please hear my heart. There's, we're not raising money for a need. We're giving a gift to the Lord as a family. This week, Holly and I will move some things around and we're going to give to him over and above our tithe. And I'm even going to make a statement that might shock some of you. You don't even need to pray about it. This isn't one of those offerings where we need to pray about a number. This is a gift. This is a gift. 
where we're just going to come together. We're not going to make, there's not going to be water pots at the front, even though we've done that before and there's nothing wrong with it. You can do it online and do it in the box. I'm going to end next weekend's service with one of my favorite passages in scripture, the words of David when he gave to the temple, the building of the temple. We're just going to give a gift. Why? Because that's what lovers do. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let me pray over you. I want to invite our altar ministry team to come forward as we pray. If you need prayer for anything at all, maybe you're going through a difficult financial season, come pray with somebody. Maybe you have a need that has nothing to do with the message. One of our favorite things to do here is pray. God loves it when we pray and he loves to respond to our prayers. And he loves when we come together, pool our faith together and petition our heavenly father with a need. So if you need prayer for anything at all, maybe you've never met Jesus personally. I'm gonna pray in this prayer that it'd be impossible to leave this room without being overwhelmed by the never-ending love of God. God, thank you so much for every person here and at Tempe. Lord, thank you for protecting them the way that you do, providing for them the way that you do. You've been so faithful and so good to every one of them. Lord, I pray that as they leave today, that if there's any area of frustration or disappointment about the message or what your word says about money, Lord, I pray that you'd come between them and your enemy and not allow the enemy to take the seed that was sown and snatch it away because of the cares of this world or the love of money. Hear our hearts, God. We want you to use us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And some of us for the first time learned today that we have to steward our money well before we can receive that anointing. So God, would you help every one of us, every member of this family, to steward the resources you've given us. It's not ours because we've, we own it, it's ours because you've entrusted it to us and we will be held accountable for it. Would you help us this week steward the resources you've given us better than ever before. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room or at Tempe who's never met you, never felt your love overwhelm them or overtake them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd wrap them up in the love of the Father, the love that was proven by sending his, only one, his one and only son to die for them in their place so that they would have the opportunity, if they would receive it, to spend forever in the presence of the God of the universe. Lord, I pray for souls this weekend. Let heaven be populated a little bit more because they give their lives to you. Lord, bless your people as they leave today. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.